welcome to the Eric Erickson Show podcast, Hour 2. Hello and welcome. It is Eric Erickson here, the Eric Erickson Show across the nation. The phone number is 877-973-7425. I hope to see some of you at WDBO in Orlando on Friday for lunch. Uh, you get to hang out and watch me do my show. I'll try to make it interesting for you. Tulsi Gabbard is going to call in. She's going to be campaigning for Herschel Walker in Georgia. Um, I want to talk about all that stuff, and I owe you guys an apology out of the gate here. I promise I'm a professional. I have been so worked up overnight with all the headlines. I never sleep. I just do show prep. I've had so much I wanted to say. I totally forgot there's this thing called a phone call. So I'm sorry to those of you who are waiting on hold. I will get to your phone calls here in just a minute, but I still got more to say, but I'll get to you in this break before before the break, before I get into just the the doom that has played out across the nation. I mean, my gosh, if I believed in karma, uh, (laughs) I'll go with what Philip said. Uh, Karma would be doing some post-birth abortions on the Democratic Party in the next week. It's just, it's brutal. I mean, it just keeps getting worse. The data keeps getting worse for the Democrats. Like, normally you'll have like an overcorrection at the very end where it's still bad. We're like, not as bad as it was. This just keeps getting worse every day. Before I do any of that, I told, this is another I told you so moment, two in one show. My heart be still. I told you the Democrats would turn on each other and they would start grousing about why they're losing a week before the election if it was going to be really bad and that's happening. And then I told you something else. I told you the Democrats were going to start turning on Joe Biden. I was made aware when I was in Washington two weeks ago by a couple of people, including some reporters, that the New York Times is working on a big story about Joe Biden and may include what he knew about Hunter Biden, but the specific story will be that he's just too old, that he's starting even inside the White House based on White House sources, is starting to show his age. Well, the New York Times didn't wait. This is out today. President Biden verbally fumbled during a campaign swing in Florida on Tuesday, confusing the American war in Iraq with the Russian war in Ukraine. And then he fumbled again when he tried to correct himself, misstating how his son, Beau, died in 2015. In defending his record on inflation, Mr. Biden was trying to blame rising costs on President Vladimir Putin of Russia for his invasion of Ukraine, which has roiled international energy markets. It's a point that he makes regularly in public speeches, but this time he mixed up his geography and his history. Inflation is a worldwide problem right now because of a war in Iraq and the impact of oil and what Russia is doing, he told the crowd. He quickly caught his own mistake, excuse me, the war in Ukraine. But as he tried to explain how he mixed up the two wars, he told the audience, I think of Iraq because that's where my son died. In fact, Bo Biden, a military lawyer in the Delaware Army National Guard, served for a year in Iraq. He returned home in 2009 and died of brain cancer in the United States in 2015. This is the concluding paragraph. We can skip down to the end. Mr. Biden, who at 79 is the oldest president in American history, has a long record of gaffes dating back to when he was a young man, but his misstatements have become more pronounced and more noticed now that he has the spotlight of the presidency. But it's way more than that, y'all. Joe Biden 
in 2020 on the campaign trail told students at an HBCU, that's a historically black college university, he told them that he had gone to an HBCU, Delaware State University. Delaware State University in 2020 said it has no record at all of Joe Biden ever attending. In fact, Joe Biden went to the University of Delaware. He did this again yesterday. He was at another HBCU in, in Florida, and he said he went to Delaware State University, an HBCU. That's a lie. That's not a flub. That's not a stuttering problem. It's a flat-out lie. Joe Biden also on the stage yesterday said he had met the inventor of insulin. That is another lie. That man died before Joe Biden was born. He said Hunter Biden died or Bo Biden died in Iraq. That's not true. He called Debbie Wasserman Schultz, a congresswoman from Florida, the senator. That's not true. That's a flub there. Between the flubs and the lies, it's like he lies so much he throws in some flubs so people can say it's a flub when it's a lie. And the Democrats are having enough of his lies. Remember, he also told people a couple weeks ago he grew up in a Puerto Rican family. He actually said that to a group of Puerto Ricans, that my family was Puerto Rican or grew up in a Puerto Rican neighborhood. George Will, who I just, I, I, I speak no ill words of the man even when I disagree with him. Because when I was a kid, I wanted to grow up to be a writer like George Will. And I, I've gotten to meet him and his wife. They are two of the kindest, nicest people. I get invited to a party at his house every year for baseball. And I've never been able to accept it. I might be off the invite list now. But I just, I adore George Will. Even when I disagree with him, I love the way he writes. This is the title of his piece of the Washington Post today. For the good of the country, Biden and Harris should bow out of the 2024 election. Now, because it's George Will, I do have to read you some. During the autumn's avalanche of political news, an enormous boulder bounced by barely noticed. It demonstrated why Joe Biden should not seek another term. Democrats should promptly face that fact and this one. An Everest of evidence shows the Vice President Harris is starkly unqualified to be considered as his successor. The boulder? Meeting recently with some progressive activists, Biden said his $426 billion student loan forgiveness was accomplished by, quote, a law that he had, quote, just signed. I got it passed by a vote or two. No, he did not. Biden was not merely again embellishing his achievements. This is not just another of his verbal fender benders. There is no less than dismayed explanation for his complete confusion. What vote? Who voted? After repeated unilateral extensions of the moratorium on loan repayments until last election season, Biden unilaterally implemented the windfall for millions of voters. Congress was not involved in this cataract of money from the Treasury in violation of the Constitution's appropriation clause. What is frightening that Biden does not know or remember what he recently did regarding an immensely important policy. He must be presumed susceptible to future episodes of similar bewilderment. He should leave the public stage on January 20th, 2025. So should his vice president. Thomas R. Marshall Woodrow Wilson's vice president joked, once there were two brothers, one ran away to sea, the other was elected vice president of the United States, and nothing was heard of ever of them again. Kamala Harris has been heard from sufficiently. Transcripts of her verbal meanderings cannot convey their eerie strangeness. Videos of them should be watched. Meanwhile, here are her Proustian thoughts about broadband in Louisiana. Quote, the governor and I 
and we were all doing a tour of the library here and talking about the significance of the passage of time, right? The significance of the passage of time. So when you think about it, there is great significance to the passage of time in terms of what we need to do to lay these wires, what we need to do to create these jobs. And there is such great significance to the passage of time when we think about a day in the life of our children. What most excited her about the Inflation Reduction Act, quote, I have a particular fondness, I must tell you, for electric school buses. I love electric school buses. I really do. I've been on these electric school buses. 25 million children in our country every day go to school on those diesel-fueled school buses. And hundreds, thousands of school bus drivers are driving those buses, which are then these people, these children, these adults are inhaling what is toxic air. And he goes on and on and on to say all of her absurd quotes. Enough. She sounds, as a critic has said, like someone giving a book report on a book she has not read. Her style betrays a self-satisfied exaggeration of her aptitudes, lacking natural talent she needs to prepare but evidently does not. Complacency and arrogance make a ruinous compound. Regarding Biden and Harris, the National Democratic Party faces two tests of stewardship. Its imprimatur cannot again be bestowed on either of them. Biden is not just past his prime, even adequacy is in, in his past. And this is Biden's prior, Harris's prime. Ouch. Oh, he goes on from there. Uh, They're all turning on him. I mean, George Will was not a Donald Trump fan, but he was certainly no Joe Biden fan. But the Democrats themselves are now in the pages of the New York Times whispering, there's something wrong with Joe Biden. There's something wrong with him. Something's going on with his brain. You know, he had brain aneurysms. Something's going on with him. Maybe it's just his age, but he's going to be too old. He is too old. He was always too old. He was older than Donald Trump. He's starting to show the age. He was always starting to show the age. The problem is on the campaign trail in his mother's basement, the media could hide for him. They can't now. He's on the stage all the time and constantly says things that are not true, constantly screws things up, constantly makes things up, and constantly loses his way off stage. It's embarrassing. I feel bad for him. It's elder abuse. And the Democrats are about to expose it all the moment they get wiped out to see next week. Now, let me pivot and take a phone call. Leo has been waiting super patiently. Leo, welcome to the show. How are you? Hey, Eric. How are you doing? Good. What's um, going on? It was the passage of time, but I enjoyed everything you were talking about. <laughs> Listen, I got so worked up today. Literally, I like got in from commercial break. I was like, oh, crap. I forgot to turn the call screening program on. <laughs> it's okay. <laughs> but I did have an important question to ask you because I really don't know the answer. Um Let's say that the Republicans do win the House and probably the Senate. They will not take power until January. So that leaves the Democrats two months to play shenanigans with the um, with their possible bill signing. And um, as I told your call screener, I'm concerned about if they got nothing left to lose. They may try to go after the filibuster and pass a lot of bills. What is your take on that? And um, I, So I actually don't think this will happen for a couple of reasons. Uh, one... Um, if they, if they get rid of the filibuster in a lame deck session, that means it's gotten rid of for when the Republicans control Congress and they can say, well, Joe Biden will have the veto pin and that's true. But for two years, uh, can they be sure Ron DeSantis won't 
become president in two years? Because here's the problem for the Democrats, and, and you've set me up perfectly for what I was going to get into in the next segment. If if everything goes the Republicans' way next week, let's just say they actually do win Pennsylvania, they win Georgia, they win Mass, uh, they win Arizona, they win Nevada, and they win New Hampshire. That gets them to fifty four seats. Well, in two thousand twenty four, the Democrats are going to have to defend eight seats in states that Donald Trump won. That would get the Republicans to 60 seats in the Senate, Uh, and they would largely be unstoppable by the Democrats, even with the filibuster at that point. Uh, But it could build Republican gains, put in a Republican president, kill the filibuster. It would be really – I mean, I realize the Democrats, they hadn't played this very bright, but it would be a disaster for them if they got rid of the filibuster. Likewise, though, you've got uh, Kristen Sinema and Joe Manchin, and they're refusing to get rid of the filibuster. They say there's no way they will get rid of it. They would not do that in um, in a lame duck session of Congress. In fact, my guess is that what the Republicans will do is largely block a lame duck session of Congress. They may possibly, possibly, they may pass a limited continuing resolution to fund government, which is more likely than not what's going to happen, but they won't expand it. Uh, it'll essentially be what they've already done. They will just vote to continue it for another couple of months and then have the budget fights next year. But uh, the Democrats are not going to want to give away any of their weapons, any of their tools, any of their power in a lame duck session, knowing the Republicans are coming in in January. Uh, now, granted, some of them are dumb enough to want to do it and try to go for broke here at the lame duck session. But what's the point of doing it at this point when suddenly you're going to hand the Senate to the Republicans, and they're probably not going to lose the Senate in 2024, and you're probably going to get a Republican president? I mean, these are the people who thought, we got this, we got this, we're going to win, and they're about to get crushed. They're going to second-guess whether or not they think they've got 2024, and that's going to make them hesitant to do anything that could come back to bite them. Let's pause and just talk about what's going on in the country for a moment. We got sky-high inflation. We got runaway government spending. Trust in Washington is completely eroded. When government is this dysfunctional, you got to change the course of the country. You know you have to. That's why I'm excited about the work Americans for Prosperity is doing. They're focused on policy solutions that actually improve people's lives, unlike so many in D.C. who just want to play political football and have power. Americans for Prosperity doesn't just come up with solutions. They act on those solutions. They have the largest network of community activists in the country. They are out there every day talking to millions of their fellow Americans If you're interested in seeing how you can get started with Americans for Prosperity in your community, visit americansforprosperity.org slash Eric today. That's americansforprosperity.org slash Eric, E-R-I-C-K. Hello there. It is Eric Erickson here across the nation. The phone number is 877-973-7425. If you want to be on the program, I got to tell you, around the country, just uh, things keep seeming to get worse at the end for Democrats. And and this this is this is something you need to understand here. That I, I'm first, let me just say this. If you're someone on the left and you're listening to me right now, and you think I'm gloating, well, I kinda am, but also I want you to understand there but by the grace of God go I. I have lived where the waves turned against us. Two thousand six. 2018, 
I mean, I have lived when the waves turn against us. The 2008 election, uh, the 2012 election, I was on TV by then. I went through two thousand uh, through the 2010 election on CNN and the 2012 where Obama beat Romney. I, I Look, I, I know what it's like. I, I feel your pain. I've been there. But what I just find remarkable along the way is that there comes this pattern in the press where the Democrats are allowed by the press to believe things are not nearly as bad as they are for the Democrats. And they're told it's okay, it's not bad, it's okay. And actually, it's, it's actually bad for them. But what usually happens at the end is that in the last couple of days of the election, and granted there's still a few more days here, but it turns out there are a couple of shifts back as people who are ready to go Thelman Louise off the cliff decide, you know what, I'm not going to. Maybe I don't want these Republicans after all. That's not happening here. People are willing to be Thelman Louise. They are ready for something new. And this should provoke the Democrats to question what's going on here. I want to read you the generic ballot polling all the way back to October 13th. That was the Monmouth University poll, Republicans up six. And then NBC News, Republicans up one. And then Emerson, Republicans up five. Democracy Corps, which is Democrat, Republicans up two. USA Today Suffolk, Republicans up four. Insider Advantage, Republicans up four. Rasmussen Reports, Republicans up seven. Trafalgar Group, Republican Group, that's Republicans up six. Data for Progress, a Democratic group, Republicans up four. CBS Battleground, Republicans up two, and then two, and then Democrats up five from political morning consoles, and then Republicans back to two with News Nation, tied with The Economist, three for NPR, four for CNN, four for Quinnipiac, and Quinnipiac favors the Democrats. So you've got Republicans up six, one, five, two, four, four, seven, six, four, two, 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 tied, three, four, four, Democrats up and only one poll at the end, the political morning consult poll. And yesterday morning consult said in their own polling, suddenly the race is tied. That's a disaster for Democrats coming. And as it shifts so far at the end, states without a lot of early voting like New Hampshire could help the Republicans a lot because the momentum is headed in their direction. In Oregon, the reporters who have gone out and have talked to Democratic voters in Oregon who are voting Republican, they all say it's because of the Antifa riots. It's because of the attacks in downtown Portland. It's because of the crime in downtown Portland. It's because of education. All of these issues, education continues to be a harbinger of the bad things to come uh, for the Democrats. It, it, it's, it's predictable. It was foreseeable. You knew it was going to happen. Now, we need to move on because there's so much more I could say about this, and, and it's all somewhat duplicative at this point. There's other headlines. The phone number, if you want to call in, 877-973-7425. Happy to take your phone calls. Happy to answer your questions. I do want to, when we come back, break down the early voting trends before I move on because there's more data out from across the nation. We are about 28, 29 million votes already cast for this midterm election. So what is it showing us? What are the patterns? I will tell you when we come back and take your phone calls, 877-973-7425. 
The holidays are the most exciting time of year, and if you want to enjoy them to the fullest, you need to get the best night's sleep every single night, particularly before your kids wake you up early during the holidays. My goodness gracious, it's easier than it sounds, though. You need the softest, most luxurious organic cotton sheets from Bowling Branch. Their sheets are made from the finest 100% organic cotton threads on earth. They make a difference you can truly feel night after night. Forget the script that they gave me to read. Y'all, let me just tell you, Bowling Branch, I sleep on their sheets, and they get softer every single time I wash them. They are so soft at this point. Like, they start out, and they're fine. They're good sheets. You can tell they've got a nice weight to them. They've got a good thread count. The quality of the fabric is, is very nice. But the more you wash them, the more you realize how good they are because they get softer, but they don't fray. That makes a real difference. I can tell you, I sleep on Bowling Branch sheets. I bought them myself even. They didn't send them to me as an advertiser. I actually bought them. We've been buying them for a while. They're towels and other things as well. But their signature sheets, they come wrapped and ready in a beautiful holiday gift box for you. Your gifts are going to look great. You can give these sheets to people you love. Bring home a better night's sleep this holiday season with Bowl and Branch Bedding. For a limited time, 20% off your first set of sheets and free shipping when you use promo code ERIC, E-R-I-C-K, at bowlandbranch.com. That's bowlandbranch, B-O-L-L-A-N-D, branch.com. Promo code ERIC, bowlandbranch.com. Hello there. It is Eric Erickson here. The phone number is 877-973-7425. If you would like to be on the program, I shall take your phone calls. I'm going to start with Jim. Welcome to the show, Jim. Hey, thanks, Terrence, for taking my call. Sure. Good fan all of a sudden. I have a question for you, and I can't quite get the answer to it. In Georgia, where I live, they run advertisements that say that you should vote because your neighbors would know that you voted or not. They wouldn't know what you voted for, but whether you got voted or not, it's now public record. It almost seems intimidating, but if you don't, you'll be shamed or something. Do you know anything about that? Yeah, look, uh, so this was a tactic pioneered by the Obama campaign, and I want to say it was the 2012 campaign against Mitt Romney, and Democrats found it effective as a tool to motivate voters, uh, essentially convincing them they would somehow be outed by not doing their fair share. They particularly target black neighborhoods, but also um, white neighborhoods that are presumed to be uh, that lean left. They don't always get it right. But what they do is essentially try to motivate people to vote by shaming them, suggesting, hey, we know you haven't gotten your absentee ballot yet. We know you haven't early voted. Your neighbor already has. Uh, we're going to know whether you voted or not. And it, it, I find it to be a tactic of voter intimidation. I actually wish Congress would pass a law banning um, that use of voter information. But there is no law to prevent it. It's a it's a campaign tactic. And it is one that the Democrats have deployed for a while now, more so this time, because the Democratic vote isn't turning out as much as it could, as much as it should, in large part because, well, people are dissatisfied. This is a Wisconsin voter talking to CNN. Also top of mind for voters is the economy. People's savings are being eroded by by rising inflation rates and things, and and we just need to get back to the basics in this country. The the Democrats have gone way too far left for the majority of the country. 
way too far left for a majority of the country. Well, how far left? This is Charlie Crist in Florida. Pandemic. Hopefully it's behind us. But as Florida's governor, would you be open to mandating or regulating masks? I would be open to doing what scientists advise. I just read an article this morning. I'm glad you brought it up. Um, so I'm going to the airport right after this and going to Orlando. And I'm going to wear a mask on the plane. You don't have to anymore, but I'm going to because Florida is experiencing an uptick that began this week. And it's not even the Omicron B2, it's a new variant. So uh, it's a very uh, poignant question, thank you. So you got that, sorry, I had to put my mic on mute for a second while I coughed and forgot to take it off, Jim. (laughs) Charlie Crist, his position is that he would put people in masks in Florida. Charlie Crist would put people in masks in Florida. Kind of an old position to take, one the voters have largely decided to repudiate. One the voters don't want to go back to, and yet he's doubling down on it. Some level of dogmatism by the Democrats in Florida. It's not going to work well, I think, for the Democrats in Florida. And I mean, they're getting eaten alive down there. Let me look. I want to move on from the election because there's a lot of other news out there. Um, And so I want to give you the early voting breakdown. Uh, It is more in-depth if you subscribe. If you text data to 33777, you can get it. Uh, There are some folks I follow online as well. My buddy Jake Walker, uh, if you're on Twitter, I do not recommend Twitter. Someone called in the other day and wanted to ask about Twitter. He didn't get through. He said, should I get a Twitter account now that Elon Musk is buying it? No, you should not. But if you're on Twitter, follow Jake underscore W. That's my buddy Jake Walker. He's doing some detailed analysis in Georgia. And there's also uh, John Cuvion from Louisiana. Win with JMC is his account. And he's got a lot of really good data out there. For example, uh, we're going to hit 30 million votes cast already today, maybe 31 million votes cast. And also, um, things look grim around the nation for Democrats. Now, how do I know that? Well, so as I mentioned yesterday, there's, there's a pattern that keeps showing up. And one of the pattern that keeps showing up is black voter voting is down across the nation. Uh, it is uh, beneath uh, 30% in Georgia. It's like 29% right now, and it's going to shrink as a margin in the coming days as Republicans turn up to vote in Georgia. In Louisiana, Republicans are outpacing Democrats. Now, there aren't any really majorly contested races. The governor's race in Louisiana is next year. It's in an odd-numbered year, and it's the Republicans are doing very well there, though. In Texas, Democrats still are not showing up. You're at the end of early voting in Texas, and the Democrats are just not showing up. In Florida, Republicans are overwhelming uh, the race. In Oregon, Republican ballots, or Oregon is a mail-in exclusive state. So everybody mails in their ballots in Oregon. And Republicans are outpacing Democrats for mail-in ballots. The one that I'm really interested in is Nevada. Because Nevada is a state where Democrats build up a massive bank of votes in Las Vegas. And Republicans have to overcome that massive bank of votes. 
And the problem there is that for Democrats, they haven't built up the massive bank of votes they need. It, it becomes easy. If if the Democrats are only built up to a, an eight or nine uh, thousand vote mar- or not eight or nine percent higher than Republicans as opposed to 15 to 20 percent higher then Republicans around the state of Nevada have enough votes to overcome that Las Vegas firewall and that's happening right now in the voting Democrats are really concerned in Las Vegas that Democratic voters are not turning in their absentee ballots they're not turning in their early votes that's a problem I mentioned John Cuvion. He is the founder of JMC Analytics and Polling. I've relied a lot on him for a lot of my data analysis that I've been doing. And he told The Hill, uh, the high turnout numbers coupled with what he sees as easing enthusiasm among early black voters in Georgia is prima facie evidence Republicans are stirred up and ready to vote. Inflation specifically and more generally a lack of confidence in the party in power driving turnout. Kuvion said black early voter turnout dropped from about 39% of the total vote on the first day of early voting in Georgia to cumulatively 30% more recently. It's actually 29 now. Democrats need a strong black early vote if they want to be competitive. Georgia's race features two black major party candidates for the first time, Herschel Walker versus Raphael Warnock, and then Chase Oliver, the libertarian on the ballot. If too many people vote for the libertarian, we go into a runoff. Um, I, 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 you've got, um, a higher share of older voters. You've got, uh, black voters not turning out at the percentages they really need. They were at 28% of the 2020 election. Um, they were at 31% of the 2021 runoff. I just don't see that they're going to be able to pull it. Charles Bullock is a political science professor at the university of Georgia. He said Democrats need to make up some ground if they're going to be able to win. Uh, black voter turnout, in addition to older voter turnout, three-fourths of the voters are over 50. In Georgia, the older you are, the more likely you are to vote Republican. It, this is just not good. And if Brian Kemp gets over 54% in Georgia, 53.5% really, Herschel Walker should be able to win without a runoff. His team thinks they've done it. In New Hampshire, the problem for the Democrats is there is no early voting. So as all the momentum has shifted to the GOP in the last few weeks, that carries over into Election Day, where voter anxieties are increased. In Arizona, the Democrats are turning out at a higher pace than Republicans. The problem, however, is that they're just not turning turning up enough. That's really a problem there. So, for example, uh, the mail-in ballot requests for Arizona. Uh, you've got uh, 1.04 million ballot, mail-in ballot requests for Arizona, but you got 1.065 for the Republicans. So you've got 3.053, 3,053,000 ballot requests. So you've got 64% of registered voters have requested ballots in Arizona, and predominantly it's Republicans now. And Republicans are starting to pace the Democrats in that regard. This is really a problem for the Democrats because around the country, you've got people pace, you've got Republicans outpace them. Consider Pennsylvania, for example. And I realize these numbers are somewhat hard to explain. And I just listen to the numbers and let me explain to you what they mean. So in Pennsylvania, 1.4 million people have requested absentee ballots. That's only 16% of the population. The Democrats are 974,000 of those 1.4 million votes. So overwhelmingly, 
It's the Democrats who are requesting the absentee ballots. Here's the problem. They're not returning them. They're not returning them. And because they're not returning them, they're not getting counted. The Republicans are outpacing the Democrats for returning their votes in Pennsylvania. And then there's the souls to the polls phenomenon that happens the Sunday before the election. It it tends to happen, I guess, really two Sundays before the election because most states won't do early voting the Sunday before the election. So it's two Sundays before. It's called souls to the polls. Black churches in particular rent 15 passenger vans and they go to the polling on the last Sunday that they can vote in early voting. They get as many of their constituents there. Yes, they vote Democrat. Yes, it's coordinated with the Democratic Party. Yes, there should be tax implications. No, there never are. They're just not hitting it this year. You would think, for example, in Georgia, that the souls to the polls buses could have gotten the Democrats over 30% voting age population. They didn't. They didn't do it in North Carolina either. They did not do it in any southern state. That's a big red flag for the Democrats. The black vote in the South is not turning out in the way it should for the Democrats to be dominant. Democratic voters are not turning out in Northwest Georgia. That's Marjorie Taylor Greene's congressional district, the 14th congressional district. Uh, The early vote will turn out more than the election day vote, but it's mostly Democrats in early voting. It appears Republicans are holding on for election day. And even so, they're keeping pace with their 2018 turnout. That's bad for the Democrats um, because the, the Republicans up there were able to hold on in the in the 14th Congressional District, even in a bad year for the GOP in the 14th Congressional District in 2018, the Republicans still overwhelmed the Democrats. And that's happening there just around the country. I don't want to bore you guys, but it's just important for you to know in Illinois, Illinois is the same way. Yes, Democrats are turning out more than Republicans. They're just not turning out at the sufficient numbers. If you look at 2018 and you look at 2020, you look at the rate of Democratic turnout historically in midterms, they're not turning out. Democrats Democrats are not as enthusiastic to turn out. Republican enthusiasm is there. Black voter enthusiasm is not there. To the extent it is there in states where it is, you see Republicans breaking in, making ground into the black vote in ways they haven't significantly. We're seeing this pattern shape up again and again. This is the most important thing for you to understand. And then I really am going to move on to your calls. And I really am going to move on to completely different stuff other than the election. I need you to understand this point. You cannot read a ton into early voting typically because early voting is nebulous. Rarely do you are you able to track party affiliation. The problem is this. There is always a pattern to early voting. The pattern is always the same. Who turns out, when they turn out, when the Republican surge is, how many days before the election, what's the percentage of the black vote, what's the percentage of the old vote. The problem here is that this election, the pattern is substantially different from the other early voting elections for 2018, for 2020, going back to 2016 and 2014, it's just different. And because it's so different, it suggests there's a real benefit for the Republicans. And that's one of the things giving Democrats so much heartburn right now. If you want more, if you want the daily details, text DATA to 33777. 
get the 15% off subscription. I'll be emailing you every morning through the, up to the runoff of the election just so you have the latest up-to-date numbers, the latest up-to-date details. Uh, I will tell you this. We will have 30 to 31 million early votes cast by the time the sun sets today across America, which is a big number, but not as big as the Democrats need. One of the groups that's out surveying people who are showing up early that don't show up in primaries is Americans for Prosperity. They actually train up volunteers to be good door knockers, to just go survey people, get a sense of what's going on on the ground, real-time intelligence. But not only that, they also teach you how to be an activist to be able to show up at your local school board meeting and make really good arguments in favor of your conservative solutions for education. You really should check them out. Consider becoming a member of Americans for Prosperity. They do great work around the United States. What you do is you go to americansforprosperity.org slash Eric, americansforprosperity.org slash E-R-I-C-K. You sign up with them, find your local chapter, maybe help them start a local chapter. What they do is they give you real data, real intelligence, real uh, thoughtful research on conservative causes. They support free markets, free people. They have not gone wobbly over the last decade. Some conservative groups are now taking positions none of us would consider conservative. AFP has remained principally about free markets and free people. They want you on board. They want fighters in states. They want to teach you how to become one. They want to teach you how to become an activist. They want to give you the best research for the conservative case for free markets and free people. Join them by going to americansforprosperity.org slash Eric. This hour of the program brought to you by First Liberty Building and Loan, wherever your business is located nationwide. If banks are telling you no, First Liberty might be able to help you get to yes. Buying a building, building a building, buying a franchise, expanding one, reach out to them. FirstLibertyGA.com. FirstLibertyGA.com. I want to go to Scott next on the phone. Scott, welcome to the show. How are you? I'm great. How are you doing, Eric? Good. What's going on? I'm just going to ask you, I'm seeing here in Georgia... A lot more of the Republicans seem to be getting out. I'm seeing a lot of seniors going ahead and early voting, and there's a lot of people that typically don't do that. So my question to you is, can we count on that wave on Election Day, or are a lot of these people already going to be uh, processed and voted in this early voting, and how will that affect things? Uh, as you were saying, it's not our typical uh, election cycle. Yeah, that's a good question. Um, the, my answer is somewhat nebulously here, Scott, is yes and no. Uh, there are some counties in Georgia that are 200% or so of early voting turnout from 2018. Some of them are almost to 100% of uh, registered voters. And so those you won't have big crowds on Election Day in those areas. But there are other parts of counties and other parts of Georgia, same in other parts of the country, where there's been a big turnout on election day, but in terms of percentage of registered voters, you're talking about a third of registered voters when you've still got a hundred you you still got sixty six percent left who will turn out on election day. So you're still gonna see a big wave. The the issue here though is that let's say sixty percent of the registered vote turns out on election day and thirty three percent turns out right now. That's a hundred percent but normally in an election, you see 10% turnout in early vote, even if you see 66% turnout. So you only see 76% total voters, and now you're going to see 100%. There will be a massive pile of people showing up on election day. It's another reason, frankly, to vote early is because the lines are going to be long on election day, particularly in, in suburban and urban areas around the country. You're still going to see a ton of people showing up on election day. Because in terms of percentage of registered voters voted, a lot of counties in the nation 
are between a third and a half of registered voters having voted. That still leaves you two-thirds to half of the counties to show up and vote. Now, proportion-wise, Republicans are showing up. Republicans are turning out in greater proportion than they normally do, and Democrats are turning out in lower proportion than they normally do. And I just don't think the Democrats will show up on Election Day because they tend not to unless they dramatically change their pattern and practice, just as Republicans are. But the data suggests their enthusiasm just isn't there.